the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. woman has long hair, it is her glory, for long hair is given to her as a covering. That's all kind of relative to what is long, what is short. And But he says, basically, you have a built-in covering anyway. If you want to be technical, it's your hair. So what he's saying here is, in principle, and here's the takeaway, even in modern terms, all of us should make sure that we are modest so that we honor God or honor our loved ones, okay? I mean, if a husband is immodest, it might make a woman feel embarrassed, If a wife is immodest, it might embarrass her husband. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Corinthians. Scripture contains three different types of law, dietary, ceremonial, and moral. As Pastor Gary explains in today's message, Jesus relieved you from the dietary and ceremonial restrictions in dying on the cross. Those things no longer matter to you. But moral laws concern the heart. And as Christ taught us, that is what truly matters. Your heart can never be completely pure as long as you walk in the flesh. But as you allow Christ to cleanse and purify you through the Holy Spirit, Your actions and attitudes will reflect that change. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. When you read this, if you don't understand context, this seems like a pretty strong mandate for women to cover their heads, doesn't it? And women ought to cover their head, her head. That's what he says pretty clearly here. Now, this is an example in the Bible, and I, and I want to say this very carefully. This is an example where culture is important to understand in the context because it has everything to do with whether or not women should cover their heads today. Now, I hesitate to to have to say that because I don't want anybody to think. And and I loathe when I hear people say that the Bible is just, you know, a cultural book. And so it's not really relevant today because it's all based on an ancient culture. And that's that's the excuse that a lot of people unfortunately use as to why they don't want to do a lot of what the Bible says, because they just dismiss and say, well, it's just a cultural thing. So what I'm about to tell you here in this first passage has to do with a cultural thing, which is the reason why this is not binding, but I don't want you to take that to, a, to the extreme and think that what I'm suggesting is what a lot of people unfortunately think today, which is that's the reason why they dismiss a lot of the Bible. You know, they, they say, they say you know, it's just a cultural thing, it's irrelevant for us today. So now how, you might be asking, 
how can we know the difference? How can we know when something is still intact and enforced in the Bible, and when something might be a cultural matter that is not binding? Okay, again, for you note-takers. The law of God is divided into three categories. Every law of God divided into three categories. You ready? Ceremonial, dietary, and moral. When you read all the commandments of God scattered throughout Old and New Testament, every commandment falls into one of those three categories. The ceremonial aspects of the law had to do with feasts and certain celebrations, certain holidays. Those were ceremonial, and there are certain parts of the commandments of God that are divided into those ceremonial laws. Then you have dietary laws in the Bible. Uh, You have laws in the Old Testament that talk about uh, not eating pork, uh, not eating uh, shellfish. Um, There are certain restrictions on certain, you know, creatures that you can eat and certain that you can't. What are kosher? What are not kosher? Do they chew the cud? Do they not? And you might read the Bible and it would be understandable for you to read some of these things and think, so, you know, what am I supposed to do? You know, are some of these things okay to eat or not? Is there a certain way I'm supposed to dress or look? Okay. So that's ceremonial, that's dietary. Then you have commandments of God that are moral. And the moral commandments of God have to do with behavior that emanates from the heart. These are heart issues. They are internal matters, not external matters, not, not dietary, not food, not, not clothing. Those are dietary and ceremonial. But the moral aspect of the law has to do with the heart issues of behavior. Okay? And when we transgress the moral aspects of the law, that's called sin. We're violating the moral commandments of God. Now, the ceremonial and dietary aspects of the law have been fulfilled in Christ. They are no longer binding. How do we know? Let me read a verse for you. It's a couple of verses for you, actually. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. This is what it says. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. That's dietary, right? Or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. That's ceremonial. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. You know why God gave those very rigid laws about things to eat and not to eat and and, uh, proper ways of hygiene and throughout the book of Leviticus and the ways that you dispose of mildew and all this other? It is because he was trying to teach them, in principle, here's the concept of cleanliness which is helping them to understand the concept of holiness. And so God enacted things before Christ to help people understand the concept of holiness in that whole aspect of cleanliness and purification and external cleansings and dietary laws because God was trying to help the people understand before Christ came that there are certain things that are holy and certain things that are unholy. All right, Those are the reasons that those things were put into practice. But Christ comes now, okay, and those dietary aspects and ceremonial aspects and and rigid uh, cleansings that the people were going through have been fulfilled in Christ because now he has been the fulfillment of all those regulations. He is now the embodiment and personification of grace. And when we exercise faith, we receive what Christ has done for us on the cross. That said, the moral code of the law has never been replaced. In fact, Jesus, when you study the Sermon on the Mount, he actually raises the bar, doesn't he? He says, you've heard that it has been said, do not murder, 
someone, but I say unto you, if you are angry with your brother, you've committed murder. He said things like, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but if a man looks lustfully at a woman, he's already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so what, God, what Jesus does there is he, he takes the moral component of the law and he actually steps it up. Now, he steps it up because he wants us to realize that we're in desperate need of a Savior, okay? Because it's one thing to say, well, I haven't killed anybody, but it's another thing to say, don't raise your hand, that I've never been angry with somebody in my heart. Oh, yes, we have. Oh, yeah. Never lusted after somebody. Oh, yeah. And so now, now what I, Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is raising the bar because he's exposing our greater need for a Savior so that nobody would sit back and have a, like a checklist. Never murdered anybody. Never committed adultery. Never stolen. Yeah, but have you wanted somebody dead in your heart? Have you lusted after somebody in your heart? That's why you need a Savior. Because Jesus died for all of that. Okay, so the moral aspect of the law never been replaced. Only the ceremonial and dietary aspects. Let me just read another passage so that you understand all this uh, as clearly as I can try to present it tonight. Mark chapter 7. In Mark's gospel chapter 7, Jesus is teaching the people about clean and unclean and external things, ceremonial, dietary, and internal heart areas. And he says in Mark uh, chapter 7, verse 14, he says, Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone. Understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. So he's saying, you know, the dietary thing, okay, that had a purpose to teach about cleanliness and stuff, but it's not what goes in a man that makes him unclean. He says, it's what comes out of a man. What comes out of a man? What is that? So he he goes on to say, because it says, after he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. What do you mean by that? What comes in goes out? That sounds kind of gross, Jesus. You want to explain it? Jesus, I love this. Jesus says, are you so dull? Are you so dull? Translation, you're not the sharpest knives in the drawer, guys. He says, don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart. Hear that. It doesn't go into his heart, what you eat, but into his stomach and then out of his body. And it says here, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Amen, shrimp lovers. Amen, crab cakes. Pork chops. Amen. He declared all foods clean. And then he went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. All right? So Jesus tells us there, and Paul told us in Colossians 2, what I read earlier, that the ceremonial and dietary aspects of the law no longer binding. The moral code, yes. So I say all that because now back here in 1 Corinthians 11, when we talk about head coverings, these are external things, friends. These are external things. These are not heart issues. A head covering is not a heart issue. It's an external ceremonial thing. Well, then it's New Testament, though, so is it still binding? All right, so here's where we need to understand the culture. This is Corinth. This is first century. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. This is first century Corinth. The most predominant temple in the city of Corinth was the temple of Aphrodite. She was the goddess of love. All right? There were also 11 other temples in Corinth. And in the service of the temple of Aphrodite, there were at any time a thousand temple prostitutes. Now, here's what we know from history to be true. 
the women who served as prostitutes at the temple of Aphrodite, these are godless pagan women who served as prostitutes at the temple of Aphrodite, would shave their heads. They would shave their heads and not wear a veil so that they would show themselves to be, if you will, quote, loose women for the purpose of prostitution for any man who wanted her service. That has a lot to do with understanding this passage, doesn't it? Here's why Paul says, ladies, cover your head. Because he says, don't in any way confuse somebody that they might think that you're a prostitute in this day. So when he says here about the man is the glory of God, and he says here, the woman is the glory of man, all he's saying here is, if a woman understands modesty, it honors her husband. That's all he means by that. Okay? And there is a takeaway from this, for sure. Even though a head covering is not required. And by the way, there's a natural head covering anyway, because he gets down at the end of the passage, and he says in verse 15, he says, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for long hair is given to her as a covering. That's all kind of relative to what is long, what is short. And, but he says, basically, you have a built-in covering anyway. If you want to be technical, it's your hair. So what he's saying here is, in principle, and here's the takeaway, even in modern terms, all of us should make sure that we are modest so that we honor God or honor our loved ones, okay? I mean, if a husband is immodest, it might make a woman feel embarrassed, if a wife is immodest, it might embarrass her husband. I, I don't know. I mean, it kind of depends. Some people, some people don't really care, and they kind of like, you know, well, you got it, flaunt it. I won't digress there. Um, but that's basically what he's saying here. Now, you know, this whole thing here, again, about does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him. There's nothing wrong with a man having long hair. All he, all he means, again, is, and this is the irony of it, you know, here we are living in a day when, there's this, again, as I alluded to earlier, there's this great emphasis on just trying to make everybody gender neutral. And so all he's saying here is, you know, for a guy not to try to look like a woman and for a woman not to try to look like a guy, and in particular because of the cultural aspect, uh, you know, for a woman not to look like a prostitute in this day and go shaving her head, go, you know, go all Sigourney Weaver uh, or, you know, Natalie Portman. Or uh, I remember years ago, Britney Spears got... Anyway, I digress, but you get the idea. Don't be shaving off your hair. Now... Obviously, look, with all sensitivity, there are, there are cases, obviously, with illnesses, and people lose hair. And so, you know, don't, don't read any other extremes into this. That's obviously an understandable matter where, you know, some people uh, obviously um, lose hair because of illness and that kind of a thing. You get the understanding, the general concept of what he's saying here is, let men look like men, let women look like women, honor God, and be modest, because in that there is honor and um, don't look like the culture around you. And so that's all that he's emphasizing here. Okay, let's move on to the Lord's Supper with the remaining amount of time that we have here, because this is the last part of chapter 11. Here we go. Verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. 
The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. That's a euphemism for uh, death. Uh, Not what some of you do while I'm preaching. Uh, Verse 31. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further direction. All right. Besides the many problems that the Corinthian church had among them, we've talked about this through our study, um, they... Abuse spiritual gifts. By the way, that's going to be next week's study, starting in chapter 12, spiritual gifts. Um, they, had, they were suing each other. There was sexual immorality in the church. Add to the growing list the misuse of the Lord's Supper. Now, uh, my tradition growing up referred to it as communion. So communion, the Lord's Supper, we're talking about the same thing. What they're doing here is so so bad that he says here in the opening part in verse 17, Paul says, I have no praise for you for your meetings do more harm than good. Okay. And at the end of the passage, he even talks about judgment. He says, you better get your act together before there's judgment. So what is it that they're doing so wrong? Okay. To understand this first, we need to understand this. Jesus committed two ordinances to the church, to the new Testament church. There are only two ordinances that we are to continually practice Uh, They are water baptism and communion, or the Lord's Supper. Okay, water baptism for another discussion. We're talking about communion and the Lord's Supper for tonight and maybe even into next week. An ordinance basically is something prescribed by Jesus and practiced by the church. So, you know, there are a lot of things in the Bible that it talks about, you know, in terms of faith and practice, but two ordinances that Christ um, assigned to the church for us to continue. Water baptism and communion, or, or the Lord's Supper. In order to understand the Lord's Supper, you have to go back 3,400 years to understand why do we have the Lord's Supper, why is it called the Lord's Supper, communion, why do we do this? Okay, and for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, and we did it last Wednesday night, we do it once a month here on Wednesdays and once a month on Sundays, we'll pass trays. And on the trays are pieces of bread made without yeast and also little cups of grape juice. And those are symbolic of the body and blood of Jesus. Why do we do that? Because I, I remember this sweet lady, right out, she was, and I love people who were just kind of, you know, raw in the faith and they don't, they don't understand, you know, anything. And they're just kind of, they're soaking stuff in like a sponge. And I remember one time this lady came up to me, she had just gotten saved and we had communion during the service. And, and afterwards she came up to me and she said, Pastor Gary, I just want to thank you. That was a wonderful sermon and nice touch with the snack today. And I said, well, and she was totally serious. I said, well, it wasn't really a snack. And so, so here's, here's the thing. You got to go back 3,400 years and understand why, why do we do this? All right. 3,400 years ago, 
The Jewish people were slaves in Egypt. And they were slaves for 400 years. And God, through a series of 10 plagues, pried Pharaoh's stubborn hand loose from his grip on the Hebrew people. And after becoming wearied and worn out, Pharaoh finally, reluctantly, let the Jewish people go back to Israel, go back to their homeland, and and said, you're free to go. When the Jewish people were told that they were free to go, they left in such haste that the Bible says in Exodus chapter 12 that they did not allow their bread, their dough, to be mixed with yeast and to rise properly like you're making bread. They hadn't mixed the yeast. They just they just had the basic uh, dough without the yeast. And so when they got news, newsflash, you're free to go home. I mean, friends, you're not waiting for bread to rise, okay? You're taking your lump of, of dough and you're running. And that's what they did. Now, so it was unleavened bread. It was bread without yeast, bread without leaven. From this emancipation of the Jewish people comes the feast of unleavened bread that they practice. And it commemorated their great deliverance from Egypt. And on the heels of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a Passover meal. Because the last plague that God uh, brought out against Pharaoh and the people of Egypt was the death of the firstborn. Uh, That was the, the final straw because God had tried everything else to get Pharaoh to finally let the people go. And in his stubbornness, he refused. And so it would cost him dearly. The death of the firstborn. And God had given instruction to the Jewish people living in the land of Goshen, in the land of Egypt. If you mark your doors with the blood of a lamb, I will pass over that home and death will not come to the firstborn. Thus the term Passover, Pesach in Hebrew. And so the people were to commemorate this great deliverance with the Feast of Unleavened Bread and a dinner of Passover meal to never forget God's great and wonderful deliverance from their 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And the Jewish people today still will have a Passover meal, a Seder meal. And so the Jews practiced it for 1,450 years by the time you get to the time of Christ. Jesus is going to take the Passover meal that he shares with his disciples right before he goes to the cross. And he is going to explain how the Passover meal was something that actually pointed to his imminent sacrifice for the sins of the world. Now, Jesus did not change the Passover meal. What he did basically was to expound its meaning and significance. Okay? The Passover meal had to do with yeast, okay, the removal of leaven, the removal of yeast, so that they could remember God's gracious deliverance and how they were set free from slavery. Jesus comes along in relation to this meal and he says, basically, the same God loves you that loved the Jewish people, okay? This is a message of deliverance, just like he delivered you out of slavery in Egypt, but I've come that you might experience a greater deliverance, and that is the deliverance from the bondage of sin, not just simply the deliverance from the bondage of Egypt, all right? All of it was pointing to the eventual revelation of Messiah. So when Jesus shares this last Passover meal with his disciples that we've come today to call the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper or communion, okay? This is right before he goes to the cross. He's wanting them, and he still wants us to understand, do this in remembrance of me, that you will never forget the price that I paid for you on the cross. 
Apostle Paul's message to the church in Corinth was frank and powerful. They needed to make some changes. They knew the truth of Christ because Paul had spent time planting the seeds of truth. They had begun to walk in the ways of Jesus, but they had let lies taint their steps. Those lies are common still today. Is there something you've heard from a spiritual leader that just hasn't sat right in your soul? Don't let it take root. Instead, Take it to the Bible and to your Heavenly Father. Allow Him to show you what is right and what isn't, and then grow in His perfect truth in love. We're so glad you joined us today on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary Hamrick will continue teaching through 1 Corinthians when you join us next time. But for now, we'd like to invite you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to learn more about this ministry. You'll be able to hear past teachings, connect with us on social media, and learn more about the church this program originates from. If you're in the Leesburg area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m. at Cornerstone Chapel. You'll find directions and more information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're excited to have you join us. Thanks for tuning in today. And we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.